This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, looking, I think, like a mint humbug today in his stripy shirt, we have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy, very handsome, very well-coiffed horticulturalist. Well, that's very kind of you to say so, Thordis. Um, I don't know about the humbug, but I do know about the mint. Or should I have said that the other way around? Anyway, <laughs> we have Thordis, Maria, Sophia, Fredrickson, looking as delightful as ever in um, a scoop neck piece of Fair Isle. Bit of Fair Isle, bit of Icelandic knitting to nod to my uh, Nordic heritage. Um, yeah. On the podcast this week, I think before we even introduce our guest, Alan and I should say massive thank yous for the lovely plants we have been sent over the past months, are triggered by things that have happened on the podcast. And they are plants with brilliant provenance because they come from a plantaholic, a seller of extraordinary seeds. It is Mike Clifford, who so many of us follow avidly on Instagram at Mike's Rare Plants. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Hi, hi. <laughs> <laughs> and do you Lovely have a middle be... name? Yes, I do. It's, it's one of those middle names that I think in the 60s, everybody that was called Michael, had this middle name, John. Um, <laughs> when, I was, when I was at school, there was four Michael Johns. Uh... Well, that was a famous fashion house, wasn't it? Michael John. Was it? Ah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, that, maybe that's where it comes from. Absolutely, it's like yeah. um, all the Tracys named after Spencer Tracy. I suppose you've got these, these inspiring uh, figures. I must apologise if people can hear building work. It's not ours. Everyone around us is having extensions done. <laughs> Sadly, we aren't. Um, but that's the sort of sound in the background. Um, I said we should say thank you because you have sent us so many wonderful things. Alan, would you like to start? Because I think yours was quite an exciting package in the post. Well, I think mine's the biggest of the lot, isn't it? I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. I think it was probably because we'd been on a podcast and we'd been talking, you and I thought this had been talking to somebody else. Um, and we'd mentioned something called a, a mountain papaya with um, it's Ben Preston, actually. And Ben Preston, who is from um, that wonderful little garden just outside Leeds called York Gate, a head gardener there. He had raised this mountain papaya from seed and was thrilled with it. And, and said, I think he got several plants in actual fact. And I was sort of talking about this plant and all this. And unbeknownst to me, a future listener and viewer of this podcast was Mike. And Mike saw, saw fit to send me two very smart mountain papaya plants and probably, I don't know, about a metre tall from top to, uh, tip to toe, um, and with, with instructions that you need two to get papayas, get the fruits on them, you see. Um, and I'd been talking previously to that about the hole in the paving in my Pelly house, which is about 12 feet, 15 feet tall, so it's quite a big house. And... Um, and we had a tree daily there we took out and we had a lemon there that didn't do terribly well so we took that out we previously had jacaranda there which had been a huge success but got too big um and so we had a kind of vacancy and um mike very kindly filled that vacancy with two mountain papayas so mike thank you very much from the bottom of our hearts because it's so important you know when you have a garden that's open to the public you've got to refresh things 
you know, in the Pelly House, people can go there, they can sit there, they can contemplate, they can talk about it. And it's interesting, not just for us, but for them as well. So thank you. And I got some lovely crocosmia from you, some corms that I've carefully potted up. Um, such a wonderful, gen I think everyone would know you as a very generous plantsman. You just want to share all of that planty joy. What it's all about. When did it all start for you, Mike? When did you kind of feel this passion beginning? The passion for plants has always been there. My granddad was a professional gardener. He's a, a, a chauffeur and gardener. And as a young child, I used to go pruning roses with him. And um, I've always grown stuff from knee high up, little allotment, little garden, fruit and veg. And, and uh, when I got married, we um, decided that we wanted a, a lovely garden. And we chose heathers and conifers. But it wasn't until later on in, uh, must have been 25 years ago, Will Giles had his uh, programme on the TV. Where, where they went to normal people's houses and showed this amazing tropical garden. And I ripped out every single plant in my garden. Literally, I took them all out, dug them all up, put them on a big blue tarpaulin in the road, knocked on all the neighbours' doors and said, help yourselves, and started exotic gardening, as people call it, exotic gardening, tropical plants. And it's just grown from there. So it's, a, it's, it's just now it's just become a... I've got like a botanical garden here. It's a very small garden, but I've, I grow virtually every plant under the sun. When people say, do you want this? Oh, sorry, I've got that. Yes. <laughs> I'm finding it very hard to find new plants. <laughs> One thing I've got from you is, um, um, is it Lobelia fistula, I think, isn't Lobelia it? Lobelia fistula from Brazil, the yeah. giant Brazilian Lobelia, yeah. Yeah, it's just coming up to flower, so I don't know. But it's not that big with me. I mean, it's in a, it's in a tub, I suppose. A meter across and it's no more than probably it's not even two meters tall yet wow see but, matthew, I, I gave one to uh, rhs wisley and matthew sent me a photo of the one in their greenhouse about 14 foot high just about to flower mike shut up <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've seen i see them mine usually flower about 10 foot right um, well no, i see I mean, the flower spike is in the middle it's quite low down so maybe it will suddenly get suddenly erupt you know yeah and some yeah. have a simple spike and some are multi-spike but it's quite very oh, right i grow quite a lot of giant lobelias um i also gave uh wisley uh bamboo seti uh lobelia bamboo seti um which is also about eight foot tall in their glass house and i got one in the garden that's about six to seven foot tall can i just ask mike before we go any further am i likely to be able to put lobelia fistula outside when the awesome. frost is finished yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I plant all my libid, giant lobelias in the in the garden, and the fistulosa is the only Brazilian one, so it's a little bit more frost tender. So all the others are South African, and they're a little bit more tender. I've got, I grow lobelia gibberella, I've got lobelia bambusetii, fistulosa, and several other seedlings that I've got coming on at the moment. Bamboo is it anything bambusetia. like a bam? bamboo? No, no. no, I just no, it's, very, it's, it's just a lot broader leaf than. Um, than fistulosa yeah Be beautiful plant yeah beautiful. i am intrigued to know what your wife made of you digging up everything in the garden <laughs> um she was she was behind me because she she's very passionate about the garden that it looks nice for other people and the heather and conifers we had i had 300 named varieties of some really rare small conifers but the nice thing was 
when they planted it in their gardens, I could look out of our window or drive past and see my plants <laughs> for weeks. And, uh, and when we, when we, so we, we made all the classic mistakes when we started doing tropical gardens. Uh, I think the first plant I bought was a Brugmansia. Um, I bought a pink one, it came out, it was white. <laughs> you know, so, but uh, lots, of, lots of plants have come and gone and, and, and now it's changed to everybody's got a tropical garden. So what I try and do is find plants that people don't grow, like Lobelia fistulosa, like yeah. giant dandelions. So, yeah. so when they come to our garden, they'll see even well-known horticulturists that come, they'll see plants they've never seen before. And that's, yeah, that, that is fascinating. And I think the fascinating thing also is the fact that lots of your plants have very interesting, not, not least of all, large foliage, yeah. Um, yeah. which is the exotic theme, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I love, I love large leaf plants. Um, yeah. That's the thing that makes a small garden also feel bigger. You well, the garden. Yes, exactly, exactly that. I mean, it's an old trick. Put a big piece of furniture in a small room, and the room appears to be bigger. I remember there was a book by Christopher Lloyd. Um, don't ask me which one. I've got them all, but he wrote once about um, foliage plants uh, in a particular border. Not the book on foliage plants. It was a separate thing, and he said, "Don't worry about flowers. You'll get them anyway. But if you concentrate on foliage for year-round interest." You will have a very nice garden, and I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, more foliage than flowers, to be fair. Yes, the flowers really come quite late, especially the hedicians. They they don't flower till sort of September to August. No, September. so it's more, also, more about big foliage. You can also do little, a few little tricks, can't you? If you've got a greenhouse, you can have, you know, three or four dahlias in flower in June, and you, your visitors will say to you, "Dahlias in June." <laughs> <laughs> And obviously you've got plenty of um, glasshouse, greenhouse area, but like so many of us, you have got a relatively small space to fit all of this into. So what, what kind of resources do you have at your disposal? Oh, the garden's <laughs> 60 by 30. In, that, in the garden, there's a garage, there's three greenhouses and a four metre square summer house, a pond and a patio. Uh, there's no grass. It's all just interwinding through the through the through the little paths. I have one greenhouse that's eight by twelve, which is heated, and it's got a, a humidifier in there. So that's for my nepenthes, rare ferns, uh, and begonias. The other greenhouse is tall, so that's where I can overwinter my papayas and my lobelias. And I just have a small heater in there over winter. Just keeps it frost free and the other one's a cold greenhouse and in there i keep my saracena uh, venus fly traps and my hardy ferns that just need a little bit of protection so that's 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 it now i have my summer house behind the summer house is a six before shed hidden away which has got all my vintage tools in because i don't like new tools they're all they're all secondhand old tools and old old watering cans actually i came to to uh, east russian and, and admired your watering cans that's that's where my collection came from, seeing your watering cans outside. I've now got about 15 uh, <laughs> all scattered around. I use them all as well. But I love old, old tools and watering cans. Well, it's funny because once your eyes tuned into something like that, Mike, you say, take it away with you and suddenly and something else starts. I mean, I'm sure this happens in your garden or with people oh. when they see your garden and your plants. They just suddenly think, oh, leaves big leaves you know and it suddenly starts a whole thing the, the whole new way of gardening in actual fact so i think i think it's uh, it's very interesting 
I'm glad we started you off on watering cans anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love watering cans. <laughs> the old vintage ones. French yeah. ones are the best. With the curved handle so it slips out your hand. Marvellous. <laughs> I'm trying to work out whether Alan is uh, responsible for my watering can obsession. I'm not sure, but I love a vintage watering can. They bring me great joy. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they're all used. People of mine are used. Yeah. They're used every day. I think the great thing about a garden like yours, Mike, is it really proves that any of us, I mean, I have a tiny garden, but it proves that particularly if we can persuade the other half to let us have more lawn, uh, we yeah. can achieve uh, so much with such a small space. Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. My last garden was half the size of this one. It wasn't nowhere near this size. And that had huge. I bought 300 plants when we moved. And the smallest pot was a 10 litre. <laughs> uh, most of them were 35, 55 litre pots. And we brought every plant and moved it into this garden. And this garden's not, it's, it's, it was the smallest garden that opened up for the National Garden Scheme in Dorset. And uh, we often had people come in saying, I looked at the size of your garden and thought, well, that's not going to be worth coming. And they'll spend the whole afternoon here. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's quite nice when they come and give you nice comments. <laughs> So we always like our guests to bring some show and tell. I kind of Ooh. feel like your backdrop is your show and tell. You've got, an, <laughs> for people who are listening to the audio version rather than watching, you've got an extraordinary plant over your shoulder. Oh, that's uh, Raphidorpha decursiva. It's um, related to a Swiss cheese plant. But uh, that's grown that big in, it's, it's huge, huge leaves. It's only a baby. This is only two years from a, from a very small cutting. So that's going to get bigger. Two years. And that, that will go in a, about three weeks' time. That will go outside for the whole summer, right through to October. And it lives outside all year. Could you just say the name again? It's Raphidorpha decursiva. And for anyone who doesn't know, we do put plant lists up on our Twitter and Instagram. So um, just to help, and we will try to put plant names on screen as well, but just so that everybody can get down all of these wonderful things that they want to grow. <laughs> <laughs> So, so that just from a cutting in two years. Yes. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> that is astonishing. Yeah. Okay, right. So that starts the show and tell right, with quite, quite quite an explosion. <laughs> so I didn't struggle, but I have some plants for show and tell. But obviously, most of my plants are huge, <laughs> big leafed and massive. So what I thought I'd do, I pulled these out of the greenhouse last night, and some of my impatient collection. Um, I grow about thirty different impatients. So this, this, is, this is one of my faves. It's Impatience Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Um, also known as the elephant trunk flower. So if you look at the little flower there, it actually resembles the trunk of an elephant. Oh, yes. <laughs> which I didn't know until last year, until somebody pointed it out that that was its common name. It's not very widely known. Well, I but didn't know that until you just said it, Mike. I've got, yeah. <laughs> I've got that plant in three colorways, actually. A white, which turns pink as the... As Drops and a bright pink and the one you just showed. So that one that one grows on one side of the mountain. The pursuit of Iola is the other one. Oh, lovely little this thing. One, which grows on the other side. And in between the hybrid is the pure white form. And that's my three. <laughs> yeah, but there's also, so I also have a pale pink form, which unfortunately is only in cutting form at the moment, but the cuttings are rooting nicely they're rooting water in a few weeks um very easy to propagate and root and i have a i say a, this is the pale pink which is beautiful there's a dark pink and also there's a white with pink spots which i actually got from 
which I actually got from Wisley. Um, where they, they, they kindly gave me a cutting, a small cutting of uh, one, which I got in the uh, propagator. So there's there's quite a lot of diversity in the in the seeds when they when they're seed grown. But these are all cuttings. If you want it true cuttings, if you want the diversity grown from seed. But they're great pl <coughs> great plants oh. for using in pots and containers outside in shade in the summer. Yeah. Um, I, use, I prefer these as bedding plants to some of the so other. Do I. Yeah, so do I. And I've, um, I've got the first one that you showed, Mike. I've got it in my potting shed. Now, my potting shed is unheated. It's yes. got a quite large glass window, but it's unheated apart from wood, wood, wood burner, which we, we light in very cold, on very cold days. And it's been there the whole winter. It's still flowering. It's perfectly all right. Not overwatered, I think. That's a crucial thing. It but is, if, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you can just exclude frost, most of these yeah. plants that we're talking about here today, if you can just keep them, apart from those that desire mist and warmth and jungle yes. conditions, yeah. most of them you can get away with un almost under cold glass, can't you? Yes, absolutely. This exactly the same. This this has a little. We have a small panel heater that's plugged in on a timer that just comes on at night. It's yep. not even the daytime cold, and it just takes that chill off in the yep. evenings. And I say they flowered all through the winter, and they'll flower right through till well they flower continuously. Yep. I don't yep. don't think they ever stop. And the other one I grow, the other little impatience I grow is summer bedding. These were seed grown um, cuttings as. Uh, the Amniamensis Congo cockatoo, which is just a fantastic summer bedding plant. And they get huge. They'll get, I don't know, maybe three foot tall, three foot wide in the garden over, over the summertime. This this will. And it's a super, super one. And, the, and the, you get it in the variegated form as well, which isn't flowering, but that's just a cutting or two off of my bigger plant. So I love those. I love I love uh, hardy I, and non-hardy impatience. Do you remember the old impatience that used to be on every every windowsill everywhere. I mean, I remember when I lived in London, it was on windowsills and it was in Patian Sultanii. Yes, yes. That yes, shocking yes. pink thing. Well, I remember my grandmother used to grow that and she used to do the cuttings as you do, in, just in, in jam jars on the kitchen windowsill. And yep, she, my kitchen windowsill's full. <laughs> <laughs> she used to plant them out and by the end of the summer, we'd have a hedge. Yeah. And literally a hedge, and it'd be more than a metre tall. And you know you get to get to September, you get the equinoctial gales, and it get gaps in the hedge. Within a week, it would all grown together again. It was just a fantastic plant for bedding. Well, I, I tend with most of my non-hardy impediments, I don't dig the mother plants up. I just take cuttings at the end of the season. Yeah. It's like, yeah. uh, uh, I don't know if you grow impediments. Um, so then Aracuma times Aracuma times by Kudar. Yeah, Aracuma. I've got that. Yeah. Well, that that gets huge. It's yeah. Sort of, by that, and I, I, the plants are just too big to overwinter for me, so I just, I just take thirty or forty cuttings, put them in water, and they'll stay on the kitchen window still right up until January, February time when I pop them up ready for this year. Yeah, and they'll get just as big again this year. But I just haven't got the room to overwinter, so a lot of plants you'll see I take cuttings of and just. Well, I tell you what, gardening, on. gardening on the edge like you do, it, it really tests your ingenuity, I think. And then there's a lovely old saying, it's no good getting old unless you get artful. And I suspect you're very artful. <laughs> well, it's like romanzias as well. They're the same. You can keep them rooted for months in a jam jar um, yeah. and then just pop them up in the, in the spring. Yeah. So, so that's my little plants. Everybody knows me for big plants. So I did bring in just one small seedling from last year, which is Kyphromandra <laughs> baticium. Say again? Kyphomandra petisium, tree tomato. 
Oh, yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, I grow these every year from seed, from my own plants. I grow the red fruiting form and the orange fruiting form. They all get five foot tall with massive leaves in their first year. This is actually a, a last year's seedling. But this, this hasn't grown particularly big, so it will get six, seven foot tall this year. Massive, huge leaves, beautiful plant. And so easy, just like growing a tomato. And not many people are growing them. I, I, I sell so many of those at rare plant fairs and, and, and give, give them away to people. So if you want any seed of that, I've got plenty. <laughs> I'd just like to ask you something, Mike, because, I mean, looking at every show and tell, piece of show and tell that you bring up to the, to the, the in front of the um, laptop and the, or computer and everything else, it, everything looks so healthy. Mm. How do you manage that? I mean, the, I'm thinking of pests like whitefly and things like that. Uh, I use SB Invigorator for the uh, for the white fly and green fly. I don't really like using too many pesticides, but SB Invigorator is the one I do use. It, it's got some seaweed in it as well, and it, yeah. it not only kills the green but it fly, invigorates it, it invigorates them as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I use that. I spend a lot of time deadheading and removing dead leaves. That's that's it. I potter. I'm a potterer. Yeah. I come home from work. When I come home from work in the summer, I'll, I'll get up at five o'clock in the morning, go water, do a bit of deadheading. I'll come home from work and I'll be out till 10 o'clock at night in the greenhouses and just watering and deadheading. It's just. Well, that's a, fact. that's a very good way to keep your eye on the ball pest wise, I think, because oh, yes. it's, you actually, it gives you the chance to take the time to actually look, but not just to look, but to see. I remember Christopher Lloyd once said to me, you know, look at this flower. I can't remember what it was now. And he said, how many blue spots were in the middle? And I said, five. He said, no, there are seven. He said, you look, you didn't see. And it's a lesson, you, you know, it does teach you to be observant. And what you're doing is good husbandry, really, on your plants. Yeah. Yes. I, I, like to, I don't like to see tatty plants. I don't like to see eaten plants. And if, if something's being eaten, I'll go out at nine o'clock at night and find out what's eating it with a torch. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, will, it will be removed. Yeah. <laughs> Humanely. <laughs> And I think actually for the for the newer gardeners and um, watching or listening, I, I don't know because I'm obviously you know not that many years gardening. I it took me a while to realise that you that that was a thing you did that you went around and you removed um, dead leaves and you kind of tidied plants up and it makes the world of difference. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, having a small garden as well, it's decorative pruning, uh, so you can take something off to see something behind. It grows so vigorously in the summer months. You know, at the moment, it's, it's quite barren. I'd say probably 60% of my garden is tender and has to be put out. 40%, I'd say, is just background plants. But I like the space. So if you came to see my garden now, you wouldn't recognise it from the summer. It's completely, there's so many spaces. And I have plants in the loft, in the garage, in the greenhouses. Um, I put tarpaulins around our summer house, and that's another. That's got my aloes and my my cyathia, which is unheated, and my brumantia in it again unheated. They'd all come out of there in a few weeks' time, and I have what I call I had a had a carport put up, but I transformed it into a plant port. So it's like <laughs> a little garden centre down the side of the house, and that's just full up with uh, full up with so many rare plants. <laughs> And huge plants. <laughs> and of course, you've talked about how easy a lot of these things are to grow either from seed or to propagate from cuttings. But yes. growing so many rarer things, a lot of the time, I'm sure you're having to figure stuff out for yourself. 
um, well, because uh, no one else is growing them. But I suppose by now you've got a bit of a feel for it, or quite a lot of a feel well, for it. Yes. People, people think that I'm the guru of plants and I never kill anything. That's not true. <laughs> I, try, <laughs> I try so many times. I'm just on my second lot of Welwitchia, Mirabilis, you know, the, the, the plant that only produces two leaves its whole lifetime. The first ones I killed. And I only just found out why I killed them because when the taproot comes through the bottom of the, the holes, it, the plant basically dies. You've got a, so I'm now growing them in plastic cups with just a pin pricks. So the root actually gets to the bottom and curls. So when you pot it up, you don't kill the plants. So there might, and it's, it's things like that that you only learn through somebody saying, oh yeah, that's because you let the taproot come through. Didn't know. I killed three. Um, but, but seeds I have, of lots of different mixes. I've got dustbins full up with coir, sand, grit, uh, different composts. Um, and I mix different seed composts up for different plants. And I'll try the seeds in different propagators, different temperatures. Some are, some are cold at night, warm in the day. Some are warm all day. And I just try all the seed. And if I get one up, to me, it's a bonus. And I grow some pretty unusual stuff. <laughs> Do you sneak things into the fridge as well? Yes. Yeah. Well, the worst thing in the fridge is my crickets, <laughs> which I feed, which I feed my uh, plants. I always go to the pet shop and buy crickets, usually dead ones, or uh, or I stick them in the freezer, um, and then I feed my carnivorous plants with them. I always go to the pet shop and say, "What have you got?" I say, "Plants." <laughs> I always get that. I always get that really weird look, like, "Why are you feeding plants crickets?" <laughs> I don't know why I hadn't thought about that, but obviously they they do need to be fed. But well, brilliant. In the penthes in the greenhouse, they don't get the flies in. So whereas in the uh, in the unheated, the, the fly traps is fine. Um, the flies will go in there and they'll get caught. But in the in the humid greenhouse, I have to actually physically put the the crickets into the traps but, uh, <laughs> but yeah and, and, and obviously some seeds in there as well I've got we've actually got a wine cooler that hasn't got any wine in it it's full up with seeds <laughs> I assume there's a lot of note-taking with all of your propagation experiments as well I mean obviously you've got an amazing brain for keeping hold of plant names but you can't keep everything in there surely um I'm not very good with notes. I've been trying to make lists of the plants. People say, how many plants do you grow? Um, I don't know. Thousands. Literally thousands. Um, I don't, I'm not very good at keeping lists and notes. And it's, it's, it basically is all up in here. But I do look back on my Instagram feeds and my Twitter feeds because I, I often put instructions on there how to sow stuff. I like people to be able to grow the stuff I grow. And uh, if, I, if I'm giving them seed, I like them to be successful. Otherwise, they won't try growing anything else. They, they just give up. So I like people to be so. I, I grew a plant called a Dendrosaurus littoralis, um, which is uh, a giant cabbage tree from the Jean Fernandez Islands. And um, it took me four attempts to get the seeds to germinate. I couldn't get them to germinate at all. And uh, when I eventually got them to germinate, I now germinate them in less than three days. And I do them in a little sealed container with chopped sphagnum moss and perlite. Just sprinkle the seeds on the top, don't pre-soak, and just sprinkle them on the top. Within three days, they're up. And this is how I tell people to grow them, because otherwise they'll try like me and fail, and uh, they'll never grow it again. 
I think another little, little mistake that people make quite often is to throw the seed tray away or the seed container away, thinking nothing's going to germinate. It's been five or six weeks or something, and they throw it away because, I mean, <laughs> you don't. If you keep it for up to, well, even up to 12 months, for goodness sake, sometimes seeds will germinate after all that time. So it's a great mistake to just suddenly chuck <laughs> things away, isn't it? I made that mistake last last year with some Manihot Grahami seeds that I've had for about nine months. And I put them in my compost mix with my other plants, gave a, a friend in Devon, a head gardener in Devon, actually, a plant. And he messaged me and said, got a Manihot Grahami coming up in your seat. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got this lovely Manihot now. <laughs> so, yeah, lesson learnt. <laughs> so we've had... A lot of sort of bedding plant show and tell. We've had one extraordinary big leaved show and tell. What's next, Mike? Well, next is one of my great passions is um, I grow lots of varieties of sonchus in the Canary Islands and Madeira. And uh, this, is, this is one of the smaller ones. It's uh, sonchus pinatus, quite rare. You can't get seeds from this from anywhere. That I think this is the only plant I know of. Um, that I grew from seed. This is the this is the second generation from seed, and I've just sown a load more, which has germinated in three days. Um, all of my sonchus, I've got I've got about ten sonchus pots of seedlings grown in the um, in the propagator, but they they're fantastic plants. Some of the the big sonchus will grow five six meters tall. I've got them I've got them out in the garden that are sort of ten foot tall already. They're sort of hardy. They, some winters they'll they'll come through down here in Dorset, but other winters they'll get cut back. Like this year, I lost quite a lot. They, I don't know why it wasn't particularly cold, minus three, and, and they've been cut to the ground. But they will reshoot. They're quite quite root hardy. But I, I love my giant sonchus. They're they're super. Everyone comes around and goes. When I first grew them, people said, "Growing dandelions? What do you mean you're growing dandelions?" <laughs> and they have dandelion flowers. It's actually the same. Um, but they don't, yeah. <laughs> but they are super plants. You've got, you've got some of these, yeah. haven't you, Alan? I'm sure I've seen these at yours. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I, have. Um, I went to visit Helen Dillon in, in Ireland, in Dublin, and um, she gave me a couple of cuttings from her sonchus, and I got home and I rooted them, and they're in huge containers. They're outside under the shelter of trees. I hope they're going to come through. I haven't really looked at them, I have to say. Um, but last year, an old gentleman came to the garden and he looked at them and he said, huh? What the hell is that old thing that looked like a dandelion? <laughs> and I said, well, this is exactly what it is. It's a tree dandelion. It's called Sonchus, and it comes from Madeira. Or I think these came from the Azores, actually. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's interesting. But that Sonchus you just showed, I've actually, I had one of those last year. Well, I, right. I have three, two of which I still have in pots. One I left outside because it started just started to flower on the cusp of October and November, and it wow. carried on and it flowered Ooh. just like an old dandelion. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I mean that is a lovely serrated leaf with it's a silvery leaf, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's got a bit of um, bit of hairiness to it as well. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Surface. Yeah, good some, some of the pop, some of the some of the leaves can be nearly yeah. a meter long, especially the. Uh, Sonchus um, fruticosus, which is yeah. massive. Now we we had we had tortoises for many years before we got our dash hound. We decided to try and eat them, uh, and, <laughs> and the tortoises used to munch on a three foot dandelion leaf as a treat. <laughs> so, 
That's like the equivalent of one of those massive dairy milk bars or something. (laughs) (laughs) You get at Christmas. I'll tell you what, so I thought you should have seen the size of his tortoises. It was interesting talking about the, the, the countries of origin of a lot of these plants. When we hear the, the a massive amount of time that you obviously spend caring for your own garden, do you ever leave it to go and see these plants in the wild? I can't imagine handing it over the responsibility to somebody to look after all these plants. That's, that, that lands on my son. <laughs> he, he, he has strict instructions, what to water, what not to water, rainwater only. <laughs> feed once a week uh, we did a the last well the last holiday we had was uh, we were supposed to be going to the caribbean on a cruise this year obviously cancelled but the last cruise we did uh, the canary islands which was fantastic lovely to see i grow a lot of canary island plants a lot of uh, aeonias i've got a massive collection of aeoniums and i've got massive collections of everything when i always say i've got a massive collection i've probably got 50 varieties of aeoniums i've got 30 varieties of um eucomus South African Yukoma, so I grow loads of different types of plants. Within those collections, do you kind of have, from week to week, a different favourite? You know, as as they have their moment, or as your mood yes. takes you, do you say, "Oh, you're you're my favourite today"? Mm, I do, yes, yes. Sometimes it's ferns, sometimes it's nepenthes if they're, they're just flushing, flowering. Sometimes it's it's brumantias because they'll flush at certain times. Uh, I have a mabusi that always flowers first for me and a yellow flower in cold form that always flowers early. Then you'll have the flushes in August, September, like the one behind Alan. I love Brumantias. I used to have about 60 varieties at one point, but I had to cut them down because space. So it's always space and it's it's finding the best of the the forms of the plants. Exactly that, that, because the one behind me is the one that suffers less from infestations of red spider mite, which you get under glass when it's a very dry atmosphere. Yeah. And the white one I always find is a devil to, to keep free of the, the, the red spider mite. But that one behind me, which I think may be called Grand Marnier, or it's a very similar thing to Grand Marnier. And yes. it's the commonest one that we grow. And as you say, you know, you cut it back at the end of the season, stick all the all the bits in a, a can of water or something and leave them there until the following spring when you pot them up. So yes. it's a very easy plant, but they are, I don't know whether you agree with this, Mike, but I find them very greedy to get the best. I mean, to get that plant behind me flowering with that many flowers on, which is probably in excess of 200, you have got to feed it luxuriously shall we say absolutely yeah almost every almost every water i do i feed half strength every watering yeah yeah i do that with quite a few i do that with some of my begonia luxuriance i have outside all summer some i plant in the garden so last year's got eight foot tall and it was nearly nearly four foot wide it was huge this is what people don't probably other gardeners might not realize this is the fact that perhaps by feeding i mean i I say half strength because um I, my my philosophy, this is no way practical sense, but my philosophy through observance is the fact that if I feed at half strength at every watering, those nutritional things are there always. And they don't come in fits and starts. So you get, you know, you feed once a fortnight and then you have to wait another fortnight for the other dose of feed. It's a continual little process. It's a rich diet. Mm, um, yeah. And it, it produces a larger plant. Yes, I, I agree. Totally agree. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I find out a lot of my plants. My plants dry. I water every single night. I yeah. come home from work and they're down. 
you know, I grow, I grow giant tree daisies that grow 15 foot tall. Um, they're, they're fantastic. And they'll grow 15 foot tall from a, from a cutting this size uh, in the spring. Um, what's, the, what's, what's the proper name? Acipodium emiensis. I've just taken some cuttings, actually. I'll put your name on one, Alan. Thank you very much. <laughs> I gave two to Wisley last year, so they, they should be getting quite big now. They were probably four foot tall. Uh, Fantastic. Lovely. I look forward to that. <laughs> oh, they're, they're fat. They are really, they'll grow 14 foot by eight foot every year. I pollard mine down to get them in the, they, they stay in the garage, which is yep. probably about five to 10 degrees over winter. Um, and I pollard them down to about three foot. And then when the new shoots come, cut them off, stick them in water and stick them in the prop. And uh, that's my new plants for this year. In fact, the cutting I took this time last year got bigger than my mother plant, which is probably five years old from seed now. It's huge. A bit like it's a polonia. Yeah. Well, that, but that's one of the great things that you have to do when you garden the way that you do, and, and to a certain extent, some of the things that I grow as well, is you have to be ruthless with the secateurs, A, to get them into the space that you have available for them over the winter, and B, some of our brugmantis, for instance, we slice that root ball down by two thirds to get it into a container that we can lift. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and I always tell people that uh, I said, if you want to do it, you know, do it. Don't have your hand on your heart and think, oh, my God, I'm going to kill it. They will look as if they're going to die, but they never do. They're so hard, so hardy. Yeah. I left one outside as an experiment on the south wall of the house. And I only did it because I just wanted to test you know, just that we've got climate change, haven't we? And, you know, yes. sometimes you get um, a winter that's um, unbelievably mild. Here this year, we've had um, several sharp frosts. We had a little bit of a beast from the east again, which is a wind frost, which is awful. And alas, I don't think the Brugmanch is alive, at least not above ground. Now, if it shoots from ground level, I should still dig it up and perhaps put it in the greenhouse or something. But I do remember uh, a few years ago, a lady came to the garden and she said, do you take them in every year? And I said, yes. Oh, I leave mine out, she said. And I said, oh, and when do they flower? Well, they haven't yet. And this <laughs> in the middle, but this is in the middle of October. <laughs> now, what's the point of that? If you're growing a plant for its flowers, there is none. Yeah. You've got to no. you know, manipulate it to your advantage. Absolutely. I, 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 yeah, I, I you, it's like a hibiscus coccinia, yeah. uh, the giant, giant red flower. You, I leave them out. They stay hardy, never flower in the garden because they never get big enough. The, yeah. the main plant I've got is pollarded right down every year, stays in my plant pot over winter, and that will get eight foot tall and have seven inch flowers on it, like scarlet flowers in the, in the sun. But it just needs that little extra bit of warmth and heat and yeah. shelter. Yeah. Beautiful foliage. It's, it's nice as a foliage plant, but the flowers are just to die for. Well, I mean, they're, they're, it, um, you do a double take. What the heck was that? <laughs> you know? I grow that one and the pure white one. It's stunning as well. Yeah. Whitest white of any flower I've ever seen. It's a traffic stopper, just like her dog called Lilibet. Look. <laughs> You've turned up. You've turned up to look out the window, haven't you? <laughs> Giving me kisses. Um, at the moment, Mike, I mean, your Instagram feed every day is just stuff that stops me in my tracks. Um, over the last couple of days, what in your own collection has stopped you in your tracks? Um, every, to be honest, it's 
I've, I grow a thing called a Masanga crepoides. Uh, it's a giant tropical tree. Um, I grew I grew some last year because um, Matthew Potage commented on it um, and wanted one for Wisley, and I, I sent them up a couple of these Cacropia and Masanga uh, plants last year. And um, I've grown some more from seed this year, and the, I suppose the thing that stopped me in my track this year is they've all prop they're all coming up in my propagator. So these massive, great big trees with the most fantastic foliage. Far too big for my garden. I'll never be able to grow it to, to fruition. But giving it to somewhere like Wisley, where they can grow them bigger, is so, so that's the thing for me. When something rare and unusual germinates, I suppose. And that's what germinated this week, my Masanga. And how amazing to be able to go to places like Wisley and East Ruston Old Vicarage and goodness knows how many other places and feel that there's a part of your collection living on and, and pleasing so many thousands of people. I, I do enjoy giving plants to people that can grow them. Just up the road from me, it's an hour away, is Abbotsbury Subtropical Gardens. Yeah, I know that, yeah. And, and I know all of, I know the curator there and I know the, the gardeners there and I donate a lot of plants to them. Um, one, one I grew was the um, giant uh, elephant ear, the um, Thai giant, Colocasia Thai giant. Colocasia, okay, yeah. Well, mine grew to about three foot. Theirs grew to about six foot with humongous great leaves because they've got the big greenhouses. They can overwinter it and they have it out mm. in their display area and their tea room areas. And several of the plants that, that I've given them are always scattered around uh, that area, which is which is lovely to see. I was like, oh, I grew that. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right. You go down through the woods and you see Sontjus and, uh, and and the Kaifamandra, um, for instance, they, they originated from me originally. And they stay out all year. They have papayas that stay at the mountain. Papaya stays out at Abbotsbury all year. Yeah. But they are amazingly sheltered because they've got that. They're in that kind of natural theater, that dip, aren't they? They are. Yes, they got. A, and they have good, a, a good, a good amount of tree cover. It's huge. It's right down in the dip, right, right on the coast. Yeah. Um, very seldom get frosts. I remember the day we went to visit Abbotsbury and we were going along in what was really quite barren countryside there, I mean, there wasn't, it wasn't that interesting. And suddenly you're sort of aware of you're going down towards this tree cover. Yeah. Said, well, is, that, is that it? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and what a surprise when you get there. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Every time I go there, I see something new. And I, yeah. I go there quite a lot. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you're lucky, you're only an hour away, Mike. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know, it brings us on to Flomo quite neat, neatly, this idea of the sort of plant at the top of your wish list, a thing you desperately want to grow that you've seen somewhere and you want in your own garden. And you mentioned yes. earlier that it's harder and harder for you, Mike, because you try so many new things. So um, I suppose it's a decreasing feeling for you. It is. Yeah, my wish list gets smaller every year. And um, strangely enough, the Instagram and Twitter, when I put my wish list or say that I'm after a plant, I usually get somebody from somewhere saying, I've got one of those. Do you want a bit? It's absolutely amazing. I have, I, I usually get packages like, like I send to you. People yeah. send to me exactly the same. It's, it's such a great thing. But I do have one plant that I've lusted after for <laughs> quite a few years. Uh, is a Gunnera insignis. First saw it at Tregrayan down in Cornwall at the Rare Plant Fair. 
they have one in their little courtyard there. It's the most stunning gunnera. And uh, I actually have, I was sent some seeds yet to germinate because I, I think gunnera seeds, you can't let them dry out or they die. Oh, that's and they right. come in like small berries. So they came in some moist tissue paper. I've taken the seeds out of the berries and I got them on chop sphagnum moss in my propagator. But whether they will germinate, I don't know. Well, I, I germinated, I've germinated manicata, which is the common one that we see everywhere. Um, but I've germinated that but on a mist bench. Right. OK. And it, 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 it happened as an accident. First of all, this this wow. thing appeared and it was, it was this funny sort of, well, quite evil looking seedling. In a way. <laughs> slightly bigger and bigger and more threatening almost. It was quite <laughs> amazing. You sort of walked past it and sort of, you know, you felt yourself pulling away from it. <laughs> Then I realised what it was, of course, so that was fine. But Gunnera insignis, what is it about it that really... It's, it's the leaf shape. It's stunning. It's just, it's one of those plants that, there's very few plants now that stop me in my tracks, and this one did. Yeah. I walked past it, wow, that is, I have to have this plant. I will, I will get one one day, but uh, it's, it's so rare to find seeds of this plant. Is this a trouble plant? Right. Yes, I think it's from Costa Rica. All right. They have it outside all summer up down in Tregrayan, and it's just the most most beautiful uh, plant. I've got the photo. It's it's. I'll send you the photo. <laughs> well, it, it, no, it's just one. It's just one that you so put you put it in your memory bank, and just in case you know, there's probably never happened, but just in case you see someone or you talk to somebody and they say, "Well, I know somebody's got a plant of that. They can give, give you some seed or whatever." You never know. No, exactly. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's my that's my that's my one plant that I, I lust after. <laughs> and where do you get a lot of your seed from? You say you put out a call there for people to maybe send you something. Um, is that the main way that you get hold of stuff these days? Yes. Well, I, I collect every single plant that produces seed in my garden. I collect the seed from, um, and I pass it's, that on. Uh, and it's to, knowing like-minded people that grow. Similar plants, but that are different from you, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a kind of it's a kind of gentleman's club, or it could be a ladies' club as well, I suppose. But it's oh, yeah. a kind of club. It's it, that um, you know, you're you're a member of it without knowing you're a member of it, if you know what I mean. That's right. Yeah. That's mm. right. I, I listen to I listen to podcasts. I listen to what people want. If I've got it, I'll give it to them because nine times out of ten, in years to come, they'll have something that I. I'm after that. I can say, you've got a cutting of that, please. Oh, of course you can. Yes. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And that's the way it is. Can, can, can we just say that you do have, um, you do have a seed list that you publish? Um, yes. Which, well, I mean, I, I don't know whether you do publish it that much, do you? Well, not really. I, I do it. I, I usually sell the seeds quite cheaply because I want more people to grow these types of plants. The only reason I sell them is to pay for the, uh, for some of the plants. It's a, a Plants are expensive, especially the rarer ones, and it just offsets it a little bit. It's not a business. I don't do it as a business. I've got, I've got a day job. I don't. Um, well, this is just a hobby for me. Yeah, but there's also the cost involved of, of heating, for instance, throughout the winter. I mean, that that's expensive, and and, compost and we'll get more and perlite and everything else. Yeah. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a big cost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a and hobby. The other thing I would just add to that list is you can't put a price on this, and it's love. 
Yeah. And you've got to love those plants to actually keep doing it, you know, keep doing what we're doing. So, oh, absolutely. You know. yeah, yeah. And you've got to give them the right care and attention as well. It's like having absolutely. a dog. You can't have a dog and not care for it, feed it. Or, no, quite. Uh, <laughs> and, and I certainly love my plants. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I think if people, is Facebook the easiest place for people to, to find your plants? There's a seed and cuttings and rhizome sale page on there that I often propagate, but most people just private message me. There. I'll, put, I'll put on when I'm putting it on Facebook because there's only that one seed site that I sell on and then uh, I just send them my, my list that I've currently got I say probably 80% of it is seed from my own garden and the rest of it is seed that I've bought for myself that I've got spare that I know is germinated as well which is always an important thing no good selling people duff seed <laughs> sometimes you get had by people that have been had like I know I bought uh, some sanguinea seed off a gentleman and they were 10 seeds and they were reasonably priced. And I got them and I thought, well, these aren't Brumansia seeds. I've grown Brumansia from seed for many years. And he said, oh, I got them from China. He said, I've got 500 in a bag. <laughs> They're not Brumansia seeds, <laughs> like corn. <laughs> but uh, you had to take them off. Yeah. Um, with um, with my Flomo, I'm fairly certain that every time you post something on to Instagram, I basically screenshot it and add it to my Flomo folder. <laughs> so I was a bit spoiled for choice when it came to things I had on my wish list. I think it was just a few days ago you posted a photo. Is it Coria backhausiana? Which I mean, I'm a bit of a sucker for any little tubular type flower. And um, just describe it for us because you'll do a better job than me. It's a tube. It's quite a new one for me. Um, it was given to me by a, 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 a friend up in the village where I live, um, up in Broadstone, and uh, it, was, it was flowering its heart off in the corner. And I thought, that's a fantastic plant. So I'm going to plant it out this year. But I also then had people asking for cuttings. So I've taken some cuttings. They're in the brot. Your name will be on one. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing. What a lovely little colour as well to its oh, flower. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful little plant. And it comes in, in different shades as well. I've, I've now learnt. So there's different varieties of it. I've got the pink one with lime green, um, which flowers outside and has been hardy here for years. There is yep. also, I think there's a creamy white primrosey coloured one, isn't there? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I know that I bought a very dwarf one, which is still in the greenhouse. I didn't put it out. Um, for growing like an alpine for growing in sinks all right so there's space <laughs> <laughs> how marvelous and also you put up this astonishing aeonium i'm never going to say it right but um tabuliform tabuliform which, yeah which you described as having an eyelash look to the leaf edges which was such yes. a spot-on way of describing this sort of fantastically dainty edge to the leaves it was just astonishing close up the leaf is stunning it's a, it's, it's actually a, a tabular floor it's tabletop so it's a it's a flat disc aeonium um the one the, the one that i put up, up was one i grew from sea two years ago and it's now bolted and flowered so in a in a few weeks time i'll have thousands of seeds of that so again <laughs> and it, it grows like cress you just sprinkle it on the surface water it keep it moist till it germinates and off you go and you'll have, uh, you'll have i think i think that's an ideal plant for children to grow because it, it's reasonably quick to flower um mm. the great thing is that when that eruption starts in the center of that rosette it takes on a completely different character yeah, and then this thing gradually sort of curls up and then you've got the flowers um 
And then, of course, it dies. Yes, unfortunately, that's one of the ones, isn't it? Yeah. A lot of the Aeonians, the branching Aeonians, they tend to flower and that branch will die and you can cut yeah. it. And the other ones, the, the, the tabliform is, uh, yeah, as you say, monocarpic and dies after flower. I made the mistake when I first bought that plant and I bought one about this big and I was so chuffed, got home, it started to raise in the middle. I thought, oh no, it's flowering. <laughs> she paid like a fortune for this huge plant, <laughs> 30 pounds, and it died. <laughs> You saved the seed. Yes, I saved the seed. Yes, so it was. It was, it was okay. <laughs> not all. Not all well, lost. Something happened here with, with Aeonims. Um, uh, it was. It was twenty nineteen into twenty twenty. Um, I bedded some out in, in an area of the garden, and I noticed the following year in twenty nineteen. In twenty twenty, the following year, seedlings were appearing underneath the hedge bottom behind wow. this area where they'd been, which is ex an exceptionally dry area. Um, but we had self-sown aeoniums, which I thought was quite amazing. That is that is amazing. Yeah, I've never had any. I've had them self-sown in the greenhouse if they, the seeds dropped down, but never yeah. never outside. No, it is exciting. The more plants you have, and I've only got a, the tiniest sense of this, but the more you have, when things sell seed, waiting to discover what that's going to be is is wonderful. The one I like that sells seeds is Ceteria palmifolia, palm grass. Yep. That sells seeds in the garden. That's lovely when that comes up. No, I've never had it sell seed here. No, no, I haven't. Um, no. for, for people that don't know, it's a wonderful grass with very pleated leaves and it has this outward curving very sort of graceful habit i mean the pleating on the leaves reminds me of the pleating on the young leaves of trachycarpus fortunii the chosen yeah. palm yeah it uh, it's that sort of texture in a way isn't it yes yeah, beautiful it's one of the few grasses i grow i don't really grow many grasses because i just haven't got the space i have to be choosing palmifolia is generally thought of as tender though isn't it mike it is yeah i've, I've i actually for the first year ever so it's been hardy for me down here for the last three or four years because we were forecast this horrendous winter. I actually dug it up, but um, I needn't have had to be fair. It would have stayed yeah. outside this year. It takes, we've had minus six and it survived. So, Mr. Gray, where are you at with your Flomo? Well, I've got two, if I may, because one is from years ago because I was, um, I was working in the uh, sunk garden or the rose garden, call it what you will. And we've do, been doing quite a bit of, um, uh, rejigging a few plants that I feel served their time, if you like, with me. Um, there's a big Escalonia in there that came out. There's that, um, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a very tiny little vine that has stems like wire netting and tiny little leaves. I can't remember what it's called now. We planted that because it went all the way along the wall, taking up far too much space. So I'm rejigging that. Um, and I remembered from years ago, we had a plant called Actinidia columicta, which is um, a kind of thing of this what do you call it, Chinese gooseberry family and it has leaves and when the leaves are fresh they have a white band across the top and a pink tip now that doesn't last because it, it it fades but I mean it, when it's I suppose May June is its season when these lovely colored leaves are on it and I just suddenly thought I'd suddenly missed it and I thought I'm gonna have to get one of those so I rang a friend of mine Richard who is a great grower of plants. I said, have you got any of these? And he said, no, and you won't get any anywhere because it's very difficult to get them in now. He's a wholesale nurseryman. And I said, oh, well, I'll go and look on my plant stand. And I found three. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I was pleased to say that I have got Actinidia columicta back again. Um, but I've also got 
coming into flower in just behind me in the room where I'm sitting here is an epiphyllum. Um, and these are those kind of sort of cacti that come from the forests in South America where it's all hot and steamy and they're epiphytes. Um, but they have the most fantastic flowers. They're not long lasting. Um, and I've got, I suppose, about four or five different kinds. And I remember going to Wisley. I'll have to speak to young Potage about this. I think <laughs> I remember going to Wisley one day and seeing a bank of them. They'd obviously sort of put them all together because they were flowering. And this is 25, 30 years ago. And I just sort of, saw, there was some wonderful shades of purples and golds and white and, you know, primrose yellow and all the rest of it. And mine tend to be just red or magenta or pale pink. So I think epiphyllum is my flow mode for this week anyway. And I'd, I'd like to increase the, the different colors that I have of that. And uh, your video on, um getting your fill of an epiphyllum, taking cuttings <laughs> is super popular. Uh, if people are, you know, if they've already got one and they want to propagate more, they want to do a Mike Clifford and uh, propagate some to spread the planty joy, then um, then I'll, I'll put a link up so that people can go and find the tutorial because it's super easy. Mike, it's been, it's been such a treat uh, talking to you. People need to just follow, you have Twitter and Instagram. Yes, yes, yes. Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> And Facebook. Every night. <laughs> How do you find time for it all? I mean, alongside all of the <laughs> gardening, making sure that, you know, you, you're satisfying your followers and sending out your seeds. Do you sleep at all? Well, I usually, I usually tweet sort of between 8 and 10 and answer questions. People message me all the time, how to, and, and I've bought this plant. And it's constant in the evenings i try and keep it just to the evenings because the rest of the time is for my garden and for work so uh, yeah i try and sort of keep it sort of eight i'm, up, I'm often up till midnight to be honest <laughs> <laughs> hold on it's mike great. don't encourage them don't encourage them <laughs> <laughs> yeah you'll be up to 1 2 a.m at this rate and you're up at five <laughs> in the morning yeah, who needs sleep <laughs> so yeah exactly sleep when you're dead and all that you're certainly making the most of, of every day and every hour and it's just been such a joy to to see a tiny window into your extraordinary plant collection will you please come back another time with yet more oh, love to yeah love to yeah. Lovely to talk to you, Mike. And once again, thank you for the papayas. They're, they are in a good home. I'll just tell you one little thing that happened. I planted these and I was so pleased with them, but I've got two relatively young dogs. They're about seven months old. And they suddenly saw this disturbed soil in where the vacant paving stones taken out, you know, where we have the bed in the greenhouse. And they thought it'd be rather nice to dig them up. <laughs> <laughs> So I've had to put flints, you know, big wash <laughs> over the top. And I have to say, it looks rather nice. So <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and thank you for microcosmia. I am very excited for them. Um, we'll have you back again and um, just happy gardening and happy growing all those extraordinary plants. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, Fordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.